Welcome to the Unstoppable Eventrepreneur Podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about business strategies, thinking and habits that are essential to building a successful event planning business while enjoying a fulfilling lifestyle. I am your host, Mayo Silvers, an events veteran with over 20 years of experience and also an unstoppable eventrepreneur with two multiple six-figure events business. Come listen with an open heart and open mind. Be ready to reset, recharge, and rejuvenate your life and your business. So today I have the pleasure of having Miss Katie Mass to come on to do this informal, casual interview for her to share the behind the scenes, what she actually did when building her destination weddings business. I mean, there's some crazy war stories going on later. So just, just sit tight and listen to those questions that I'll be asking her. And today she's feeling a little under the weather. So I'm going to try to talk more and then she can just nod her head. I mean, she's just a trooper that she's showing up even though she's not feeling so good. Okay. All right, Katie, hand it over to you. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yes. Well, thank you so much, obviously, for having me here. I am so excited. And thank you for being ready to jump in if my voice goes ahead and takes off without me. But um, I am I am truly the biggest fan of destination weddings and love all of the opportunities that they can bring. So thank you for having me on. Um, so yes, I'm Katie Mast. I actually started out in the wedding industry in 2010 as a destination wedding planner, uh, which I think is rare. I think most people become a wedding planner and then transition to destination wedding planning. And I actually set out from day one to be a destination wedding planner. So that was really great. My company was called Cotton and Oak. And I was based in the San Francisco um, Bay Area when we were running that business. Uh, since then, um, I'm happy to report that that business was up and running for 12 plus years, which is amazing. COVID obviously went ahead and took a little pause on it. You know, with that, I was also able to really dive deep into the wedding and event industry in general. And it introduced me to some amazing brands that I worked with in my business, like Honeybook and Isle Planner, and then transitioning on over into Rock Paper Coin, which is where I work now. And I like to say that I am a retired destination wedding planner. However, are you ever really no. a retired wedding planner? I don't think so. I find myself diving into events now and then and saying yes to certain people. And, you know, so we'll see. Maybe I'll make make a full comeback. But for now, my home is now on the tech side of the wedding and event industry, uh, where I live at Rock Paper Coin, uh, building their community. What exactly does Rock Paper Coin do again? Tell us a little bit. And how does that, how does having, you know, being a business owner in the event industry has got anything that you can bring over to Rock Paper Coin? Wow. Oh, great question. So uh, what Rock Paper Coin does is we do payments, invoices, contracts, proposals for the wedding and event industry. And we do it on a wonderfully modern, easy to use platform that also happens to be incredibly affordable, which is really, really great in today's business. So that's what we do over at Rock Paper Coin. And you know, the beauty of Rock Paper Coin is that, you know, there are a lot of really robust platforms out there. And there's a lot of options as a business owner to try to figure out and navigate what you want to use in your business. And personally, I always favored when I was a business owner, I always favored platforms and systems that were actually created by people that were in the industry. So, you know, even in my early days as a wedding planner, as my business grew and as my identity really grew, you know, that's really when a lot of systems started hitting the scene. And I remember the very first day that I got a call to come into the HoneyBook office and say, hey, like, tell us what we need to know. Like, tell us what we're missing. You know, how are we going to make this awesome? What does the industry need? And so... 
you know, it really kind of just snowballs from there. But having that actual industry knowledge is invaluable when creating a product for an industry. And I'm happy to report that the majority of people that work at Rock Paper Coin are actually in the industry. Ah, so so you understand if we were to use uh, Rock Paper Coin, tell you that, hey, we're not, we need this, we need this, we need that. You understand where we are coming from, which is great. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go back to talking a little bit about about Destination Wedding. So for for our audience who are really, really new in the events industry, what exactly is destination wedding versus a regular wedding? Okay, so great question. There's actually a couple answers to this. So number one, a destination wedding can fall into two categories. Number one, it takes place outside of the couple's local area. So that means that all guests, including the couple, are coming from out of town. And another category that it can fall into, which you find more in today's, is all guests except for the couple are coming from out of town, making it a destination wedding for everyone that's attending. Ah, okay. So if I'm understanding you correctly, it's either the wedding is not where the couples are living, it's it's out of town for them. So everybody they invite will go with them as well over there. Or... We never thought about this as a destination wedding, which is the couples is in, which is ours, myself and my husband. We have 132 guests, I remember, and we are down in Miami. So, but I would say 75% of the people who came are not from Miami. So we actually had a destination wedding. So, so thank you for, for actually shedding light on the second part, because I don't think many people thought that as a destination wedding planner is is you actually plan the wedding local. <laughs> they always think that they have to move, they have to do it outside, right? Okay, outside where they live. Okay, so give us an idea. How is planning a destination wedding different from a regular wedding? So I think I want it to be very, very concrete, such as give, give me some examples, like what are the type of work involved when you're planning a destination wedding versus a regular wedding? Yeah. So I always love to answer this question first by explaining, you know, what it takes in order to be a destination wedding planner, first and foremost, because it is a completely different beast when it comes to wedding planning versus destination wedding planning, because you have to be just as confident planning a wedding from afar as you would in your own backyard, right? So in a place that you've never been, You have to be able to handle all of that with the same grace and the same confidence as you do for clients that you book right in your backyard. And that's the reason why clients ultimately end up booking. So so you were saying that you need to have the same type of grace, regardless whether you're working in your backyard or not or not. So give us some examples. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, I always say that you have to have like this advanced superpower because being a wedding planner is stressful enough, right? When you know the area and you have backup vendors and you are familiar with plan B options and you can run to Home Depot down the street and, you know, it's just all of the things line up, right? And we train to be calm and confident and in control so our clients can stay unaware of everything that's happening. But when you're at a destination wedding, if you're in a rural mountain town in Colorado, for instance, which I totally was, right? You are lucky if there's a Starbucks for you to get breakfast at, but let alone like you don't have the ability to just run to the local Home Depot or be able to call up your backup florist because the one that you booked got a flat tire, right? So there's just all of these moments in which you really, really can have um, pieces that fall apart that you wouldn't necessarily have all that extra pressure from if you were doing a wedding at a venue that you're at every other weekend. Okay. So I'm already getting anxiety. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm like having PTSD thinking about some of my horror stories of rural destination weddings. But... Oh my God, I'm getting anxiety right now. You know, it's interesting that I think the main difference between having a, having the wedding 
in your own town where you know you can call for backup. You know where you can go run to the store to get certain things. Whereas when you are doing a destination events, you are basically flying solo. Okay. So you got to make sure that you, you dot your I's and cross your T's. And I do, I, I retire from doing weddings. Hallelujah. So, so I do all corporate events and I would say probably almost 90% of my events are not where I am. So they are all, you call it destination. They're all, all around the country or outside the country, outside the country. So, so um, I can understand what you're saying because I'm not there. Sometimes I'm not even there. I have, I have uh, one of my staff there or I train the client so well that or my vendors so well that they, they, they got it. Okay. So mm-hmm. the, the communication is definitely different. You've got to be so much clearer. Not oh, to yeah. say that you don't have to when it's local, but when you are destination, you cannot, you cannot overlook simple, simple things. Everything needs to have a plan B, C, and D. Okay. Nice. When you're local, you a plan B, a plan C, maybe. Okay. Yeah. You probably don't even need to execute plan B, but if you do, plan B is there. But oh, yeah. destination, you could probably B, C, and probably a D, just in yeah. case. Oh, yeah. And uh, L, M, M, <laughs> right? All the-, <laughs> All the things. But no, you're totally right. And that's where I really call it that activated superpower because mm-hmm. you can really, really, truly enjoy wedding planning. And I think that there's a lot of people that do. And I think that there's two very distinct categories of people who are wedding and event planners. And you have the ones that really, truly love working at the same venue over and over again, working with the same vendors over and over again. It's a well-oiled machine. They do it so well. And if anything outside of that zone, anything outside of that comfort of what is perceived to be, oh, it's just a normal Saturday at this venue I'm always at, goes awry, then, then you know, chances are as a planner that you can calmly and confidently take care of the problem and be like, woo, right? Like dodged a bullet. However, Activating that super power in order to be, like I said, on top of a mountain, very vulnerable, unable to ask for anything. You're just at the mercy of whatever is going to fall into your lap and help you be able to do this. Takes a very different kind of mindset. It takes a very different kind of person, right? And a lot of the work I like to remind people is that in order to be a successful destination wedding planner, it is all in the pre-event. You have your clients have to trust you 100% because there's a lot riding on the execution of this. And if there's that trust, if it has just your process has just been so stellar throughout, number one, you're going to have a great event no matter what because you have an A through literal Z plan. But number two, if anything were to happen, those clients aren't going to hesitate for a second that you didn't do everything in your power to make it work out. And so, you know, and that's where I really do think that I think some planners try out the destination and they're like, whoa, this is just very unpredictable, very spontaneous. Anything could happen. And there's a lot of people that thrive in that environment. And then there's planners that are like, I'm good. I've got my five favorite venues. I've got this over here. I'm okay, you know, and and that's great. But there are two very different planning styles. I think you just hit the nail on the head, you know, when it comes to the client has to trust you. I think it it starts even before the pre-planning. I think it starts during your qualification process. Oh, totally. Yeah, it starts during the qualification process that you ask questions that will let your potential clients open up so you know what is their trust level, okay, in general, and also trust level in you. Yes. So, so you need to prepare them that things are going to change. Things are not within our control. How do you feel about that? How do you react to things like that? Do you, I mean, I would do all I can to protect all the, all the things but I cannot control the elements, all right? <laughs> so how do you feel about that? Because the last thing you want, and this happens in a regular wedding, not just a destination, but a destination wedding, the pressure is on. 
because it's, sometimes it's a lot more money involved and then there's logistics involved, not just the couples, but their friends and family. So they will pin everything onto you and say that we hire you to do all these things. What happened? And then it became like the scapegoat for things that is not within your control. So thank you so much for thank you so much for, for highlighting that. So I would say start from the very beginning during the qualification process, be as spontaneous, as honest, and let your potential clients share with you their expectation and be honest with yourself if are you do you have the aptitude? Yes. Okay. Do you have the aptitude, not just the skills, because skills you can learn. Do you have the aptitude to take this type of heat and this type of pressure? Oh, and, yeah. and, and I, I say to myself, I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire because I cannot deal with planning events anymore. It stresses me out every single time. I know it's, it's so crazy, but I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then I get FOMO because I see all of my planning friends still planning and then they're going to these amazing you know destinations that I used to go to and I'm like oh like I mean can I just be your assistant can I can I just be your assistant yes can I just help carry the bags that's all (laughs) I want to do because then I remember oh right like I'm not there on vacation I was there for three days barely ate barely slept right it's not a vacation you're it's almost the opposite it's a torture chamber because you're in a beautiful place around beautiful food and all these things and you aren't enjoying any of it, right? You are yep. just tired and and making everything happen for everybody else. I remember. So yeah. I will say, um, one of the things that I always, always, always loved was that my family was written into my story. Yes. And it was just so much fun being able to have them come with me. And, you know, and again, like part of telling that story and having, um, having clients um, invest in you is the fact that they get to know your family and they get to know your kids and they get to know everything. So, you know, by the time you get there, they're just excited to see you and their family as you are to see them and get this process started. But I will admit having your family go with you to destination weddings will create some tension because they get to enjoy the vacation that you (laughs) are not enjoying. And there were so many times that I would be running across a resort and I would catch a glimpse of my husband and my son swimming in the pool and I would feel rage. I would be like, (laughs) I want to be there so bad, enjoying the pool, enjoying the food, enjoying everything. So there is a little bit of that when you... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the perks, but there's also the drawbacks. I, I hear you because every time if I were to go to any place that I think my family would love to come, they I will ask my husband and my daughter to come as well, if possible. And then they get to enjoy. And then I have some free time. You know, it's all about building a team that can support you as well. So uh, I would strongly suggest you do not do a destination event just by yourself. Always have one of your lead planner come with you or someone that you know who is capable of planning events or executing on-site, who may not be working with you, had not worked with you before, but is a planner herself and you are able to connect with her prior and say, I need someone who knows what to do to be with me that day and none of my planners can come. And so you say- I always did that. I always, every event, no matter where we were going, I would always post and I would find- you know, I would do a lot of research beforehand and find someone who has a similar aesthetic that I do. Mm. Find someone who had an, a similar wording and relationship with their clients than I did, because I know that the experience that they're going to give to my clients and to their family is going to be very reminiscent of what I would. And so I really did research there and then have them come in as day of assistance, obviously ask them, you know, hey, if anything happens on the ground, can I pay you hourly if you have to jet up to the venue? Like just having that on the ground absolutely, know, yeah. is worth the investment. And I will admit that in the beginning, I had to pay for that investment in order to grow my destination mm-hmm. business. But then as obviously my business grew, I was able to include that in my fees. So that was nice. Yep. I, 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 I do that. I've learned from, the, from day one that I need to have boots on the ground who's able to do things for me even before I before the event happens. So for sure. Thank you for thank thank you for giving us this this big tip, not even a small tip, <laughs> big tip, big tip. Big okay, tip. which which leads me to asking 
a question that can segue into this question. So, so you were talking about um, having these boots on the ground, right? So do you charge a different fee when planning a destination wedding versus a regular wedding? Okay. So if you can share with us how you structure your fees for planning a destination wedding, give us some idea, and then we will be able to, you know, to do a comparison for planning a local event. Yeah. So if I can, I'm actually going to answer that in two different ways. I want to answer that in the beginning of my business. Mm -hmm. And then I want to answer that at the end of my business of where I got to. Oh, perfect. Even better. (laughs) So there is a huge learning curve when it comes to destination wedding planning prices. And a lot of the time in the beginning, you actually end up having to pay to grow, right? So when I was starting out, I would reach out to other planners or vendors in the area, um, letting them know, hey, you know, I would love to start planning or working in this area. If you have any events that you can't take on, or you hear of anything that you think I might be a good fit for, let me know. But what this did is it kind of got my name starting to get out there. It really started to make sure that I was connecting with people prior even to getting a job there, which I thought was really, really great. Um, So that was kind of the first step that I took in being able to really say like, okay, like recognize me as someone who wants to do destination weddings. From there, I needed to try to confidently convince couples to hire me, (laughs) right? Like if there was a wedding in Virginia and I was in California, why in the world do I want to do your wedding when I have never done a wedding in Virginia before? And so that is a very hard sell, let alone what do you even charge for that? So um, what I would... What I started to do back in that day, Pinterest and wedding blogs were really the only two things that were out there, right? Social media wasn't on the scene. We are showing our age. (laughs) So what they did do though is, and though not has it too, which is another great resource. So here's another tip coming for you. So early in my wedding planning days of being able to say like, hey, I'm I'm here to be a destination wedding planner. And I'm going to confidently tell you that by booking me, you are not making the biggest decision of your life that you're going to regret, (laughs) is I would go on to like a hundred layer cake or the knot and go on to their marketplace. And I would see couples listings looking for wedding photographer. This is my wedding location. This is my date. This is my budget, yada, yada, yada. And I would look it up. And if it was a venue that looked amazing, or if it was a place that looked like I wanted to continue to work, then I would reach out to that couple and I would say, hey, congratulations. Um, Do you happen to need a month of coordinator? And I will say that that's the biggest tip that I also have is for anyone who is attempting to get into destination weddings, always start with your easiest service that you know that you're going to be able to deliver on. And that is month of coordination. So I would say, do you need a month of coordinator? Nine times out of 10, they were on there looking for vendors and they didn't have a planner. So of course they needed a month of coordinator. So that was my first step in the door there. Then I had to figure out pricing. And what I would do is I would Google, okay, what's the flight? If they're seeking a photographer that's not in the area, then they're clearly comfortable with getting a hotel for that vendor that they're seeking. So they'll probably be okay with getting me a hotel. And then what else did I need? Did I need childcare, right? Did I need um, an assistant the day of? So I started working backwards in my head. And it would just be, in the very beginning, it would just be, just cover my travel expenses. That's all I needed, just cover my travel expenses. And that was my investment very okay. first getting started, right? And I, but I knew that. I knew that like at the end of the day, these first five, I can't make money on these if I want to be a destination wedding planner because the only way I can be a destination wedding planner is I have to let someone agree to let me be at these events so that I can start building my portfolio showing that I'm going to all these places. Okay, so let's take a quick pause here. So for those of you who fast forward this video, okay, or if you are listening to this video, 
you fast forward what she said at the very beginning. I want you to know that what she just said to you, Katie said to you was when she was naive, okay? <laughs> when she was just starting her business that she paid to plan. So, right. so please do not think that, oh, this is what I need to do. That is when she said that at the very beginning of building my business, this is what I did. And then she's going to share with us, but this is what I did at the after I've learned. And then this is what I did after I have gotten some experience yes. under my belt. Okay. Yes. So well, I, I yeah. I love that. And I and I love that you say that because the biggest difference was that I didn't continue to do that for a year. I didn't continue to do that for two years. I wasn't undervaluing myself. I knew how many events that I needed to do in order to build a portfolio or in order to start attracting the clients that I needed. And that from there on out, I was going to be able to go. And so I think that that is a very critical thing. Because at some point in your business, you are going to have to invest. Mm -hmm. And you are going to have to take on some things that may not necessarily pay you what it is that you wanted to get paid in order to get where you want to go. But there has to be an end. <laughs> be very, very short. <laughs> so I would like to, I would like to preface with that, right? Is that I knew, okay, I just need a few and then I can go. And that's what I did. And so coming back, right? Um, I was able to sit down and say, like, okay, like how much did that actually cost me? And how much extra time did it take in order for me to plan this there versus here? And what if I did partial planning? How many extra hours is that? And what else is involved? Now we're talking potentially venue scouting. Now we're talking about interviewing vendors in different time zones and different states and figuring this out. And, you know, especially here on the East Coast, where all states kind of merge together, you can have a wedding in Georgia and the band is coming from Tennessee. So, you know, there's a lot of different logistics. Okay, well, now let's figure out full planning. Oh my gosh, this gets even more intense. So I was able to kind of build my business plan going backwards once I had data, really, from the first three that I did. So now moving forward into pricing for where I actually grew my business and um, happy to say, May, you can be relieved. The three that I did for free worked out because I definitely was a six-figure business by the end of the year. So no worries there. <laughs> um, but the pricing from there, right, completely escalated, right? So even if they were still bringing us on for month of coordination, it wasn't simply month of coordination because I couldn't just roll out of bed. I couldn't just roll out of bed, go down the street, do the wedding, and then come back for dinner and be in my own bed that night. So it still had to include hotel. It had to include flights. It had to include rental car, the day of assistance. Um, and then in addition to the services and all the extras that go into it. Now, I will say that this is where things get different for destination wedding planning versus, you know, regular wedding planning is that you can have the ability to upsell so much more in destination wedding planning. And what I mean by that is you are already on site. They are already investing for you to come. So the chances of you being able to plan, coordinate, and execute the rehearsal dinner, the after party, the second day brunch, right? There's all these extra events that you're now able to tack on to this one event. So the pricing does get very, very different. And that's not to say that a wedding planner that, you know, plans from home can't do these as well. And they do. But the opportunity to make so much more money is there in destination wedding planning, which is really, really great. And just comes back to your ability to sell and to have confidence with the client and to be able to let them know like, hey, have you thought about having this super awesome rehearsal dinner that we can coordinate because we'll already be there. And of course they're going to say yes. So. Okay. So, so this ties into the question that I wanted to ask, like, do you think a potential income for destination wedding planner is higher than just a doing a local event? And 
I, I want to spare you from talking so much because I know your throat is hurting. So the fact that what Katie just said is because you're already going to be there. So those people, when it's a destination wedding, there's always going to be, there's always going to be um, a rehearsal dinner and also the brunch after. Okay. So it's, it's for sure you're going to get those three events in total. So the wedding, the before and the after. So for sure. And um, I personally think that as a, if you are doing an, a wedding that, that has a destination component to it, it's your income level is going to go so much higher and then your fees is going to go so much higher because now you've got to dedicate more time to plan. So it goes hand in hand together. So I'm going to step in and share my experience that apart from doing destination weddings, which I, thank God, stopped doing because uh, it's just too much for me. So it's not my thing, you know? So, yeah. but I do a lot of destination events. So how I structure my fee was, hey, listen, I was ballsy. I start from the get-go, man. I don't like just pay for my accommodation and then let me just volunteer my time. No. <laughs> I was like, sorry, got to pay. So how I did how I did my was when I structure for M2 hospitality, when I anything that I have to do that is not that, I mean, that's not local, that's not in Miami. If I have to travel to New York, I have to travel to California, to Chicago, just to name a few. Um I will charge them my planning fee just like as if I'm planning a local event. The planning fee doesn't change. It doesn't matter whether it's a destination or local event. The planning fee is the planning fee. How many hours the, 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 the difference would be for a destination event because you may not be familiar with the destination. You probably need to spend more time researching. Okay. So you probably need to hire boots on the ground. So your fee will definitely go up because you need to pay these people boots on the ground, but the planning fee is still the same, right? How many hours it takes to plan. So a destination event definitely will require a lot more hours. But then, you know what's the best thing? If we were to go back to that same city with the same client, then, or even with a, a different client, I wouldn't have to charge that much because I already have my, my, my database, right? I already put together my vendors list, my venue list. So I know who to call, where, where to have. So every time I plan an event in Seattle, I always go to the Four Seasons or the Lotte Hotel. So if I go to Beverly Hills, you know, I go to a few hotels, I go to a certain venues. So, so your fees don't change in, in terms of planning. But what you need to charge for sure is your um your travel, which is your airfare, right? Well, that's what Katie did. So you have to charge for your travel, your airfare. So when you quote them, you say that this is my research at this time, but you have to be so clear and put on your contract that when it comes, you know, I can buy the ticket immediately after we sign the contract, I will check the airfare again. And then we're going to get the ticket because you don't want to. So this is what we call reimbursement, okay? reimbursement. This is not part of your fees. Let's be very clear about this. You know, normally Katie would say all that because poor girl, I'm just going to speak on her behalf. <laughs> but we, you know, we, we both have, you know, multiple six-figure profit business. So we all think quite similar. So, so you, you will submit your, your receipt and get reimbursed for your airfare. And then a lot of times you'll be staying at the hotel where the event is. So if there's not, if the venue is not connected to the hotel, then you will stay at the nearest hotel where all the friends and family are staying. So depending on how good you are in negotiating a, a hotel contract, which I, I have to boast, I'm the queen of it. Even the hotel partners tell me that they have not met anybody who, who <laughs> negotiate like me, then you will be able to get a free room. So your client doesn't even have to pay. Okay. So. You, if for whatever reason you have to, you have to pay, then normally it's a staff rate that you negotiate on behalf of your client. So, so your client will, will pay for your room and your assistance room. And that's also per diem for your food. Okay. Because you got to go there the day before or two days before. And when there's no events happening, there's no food to eat. So you, you still have to do your job. So you need to build them. From the moment you leave your house at the airport, if you have to grab breakfast, you build them. You got to grab a bottle of water, you build them. 
you keep all the receipts and then you will already have the, um, uh, you would need to stipulate that on your contract to say that we have a per diem of $150 a day that covers all meals, okay? So those are reimbursement that you submit after the event, okay? It's not part of your fees. So I do that every single time. In addition, I also charge for my travel time. So because me traveling on air means that I cannot be doing an event or I cannot be meeting a client where compared to I don't have to do this event. So your event. So they compensate me based on how, how long I travel. So it's up to you. There's no hard and fast rule. I, I charge anything more than four hours, I charge. So I either, depending on the relationship I have with my client, either I charge 50% of my hourly rate or I charge a full. And, and of course, your time there is considered as your planning fee. So you've got to have your on-site management fee as well. So you need to charge to divide it up. It looks like this. You're going to have your planning fees, okay? That means during the, pre, the, the pre-planning and then you have your on-site fees and then you have your reimbursement. Okay, so that's three categories. I think I couldn't be more clear. <laughs> no, and you're, you know what? You're totally right in that that's another difference between wedding planner versus a destination wedding planner is that your ta- your contract gets a lot longer. Mm-hmm. There is just, you know, we talked about in the beginning, there's just so much room for error and there's just so many more things that could go wrong or that you need to be able to have um, you know, that backup for. So having that in there, however, there's also a lot of things that you end up having to get reimbursed for or in charge for that you wouldn't in a regular wedding. And so absolutely like your contract is gold. Um, but I also liked to always tell my clients that the contract is what we agreed on. However, the invoice was open Yes, and there were just so many things, right? Whether it was like, but we decided to in-house make something, right? Mm-hmm. That instead of trying to find somebody there to be able to do it. Like with destination weddings, there's just so much that you can do. The door is open. And so you've got to be able to have that rolling invoice and your clients be aware that there's just going to be a rolling invoice because you're kind of just making it up as you go. And you're finding options and you're finding people and you're doing all these things versus having a very almost like, here's your package, here's your vendors, here's how your day is going to go, which is typically how you are able to do that with being a wedding planner versus destination. 100%. So even when you are just doing a local event, I would say that one one tip for you is if it, you have to drive more than two hours or three hours to get to the venue, you need to ask for a room. Oh, absolutely. Okay? You need to ask for a room, even if you're planning the weddings local. You need to ask for a room the night before or the night or the night itself. Okay. And oh, yeah. you and you need to ask for per them for food because your wedding doesn't happen until there, but you until the, at that particular time. So so all that you need to factor in as well. Okay, so don't short, don't shortchange yourself. Okay, all right, perfect. So now let's move on to marketing, okay? So in terms of marketing, how do you differentiate yourself as a destination wedding planner versus a regular wedding planner? Yeah, so like I said earlier, back in the day when it was just uh, Pinterest and those wedding blogs, um, you know, it was really, really difficult to be able to get yourself out in front of people. You actually had to go and get people Um, versus today, right? Like there are just so many amazing ways to be able to show your style and how you operate um, in any location. So for instance, if I ever went to a friend's wedding or we went on vacation or we just went to some fun location, my social media posts that day would literally have hashtags from that area with one of my favorite weddings that I ever did. And then when a couple or a vendor or anyone is looking up that area, I know for a fact that my work is going to pop up in that area. I may not have actually worked in that area, but my work now shows up in that area, right? So really making sure that you are using and latching into the hashtags 
the geotags, the locations on your social media, right? That's like the first thing that you need to do in destination. You can't expect that people are going to find you if you don't put yourself in those areas. So get your best work, start tagging locations that you want to work at. And then, um, you know, you'll be able to actually see some traffic coming in from those areas. My other tip that I can say for marketing is SEO goes a long way these days, whether it's on your site or whether it's on your blog or whether it's even on your Google postings. So if you're going to invest in any kind of marketing, make it be SEO at this point because it will pop you up into areas geographically that you wouldn't otherwise pop up in, which is huge. If you want to do weddings in Ohio, then your blog and your site better pop up when someone says Ohio wedding planner, right? If you want to be known as a, as a Mexico destination wedding planner, well, then you better start targeting some local cities that you want to work in so that you at least pop up and you can start a conversation. So those, I think that, you know, those are really good tips for today and being able to get um, marketing as a destination wedding planner. But the other part of it is that there are a lot of hybrid planners, right? And that's where those two categories now, it used to only be that one category of destination wedding planning. It was, you all went someplace. Nobody was from there. It was a true destination. But now there is that second category of, it can still be a destination wedding if 90% of your guest list is coming from outside of that area. So really being able to let people know when they go onto your site, what you do, where you are, and where you're willing to go. Because that way you're really not pigeonholing yourself into this one way, like, is she a destination wedding planner? Is she a wedding planner? Does she work in San Francisco? Or is she in Virginia? Like, where are you and what are you doing? Your story should be so clear. You're either a wedding planner that's based in San Francisco, but you're open to visiting other locations, or you're a destination wedding planner and you'll go absolutely anywhere. And that's kind of how it has to be in terms of today's marketing. I think that's a really good point because when we talk about SEO, search engine optimization on your website, especially, you want to be able to say where you are based and you also want to be able to say what area you're willing to go. So like, for instance, when I travel and if I'm at a very fancy venue, I would actually shoot a short video and, and say that I can imagine myself doing an event here. Look at this space, this and that. Then I will hashtag, I will hashtag my company and I will hashtag the, the destination and the venue. So that's what you were talking just now. Same thing for your, same thing for your website. You know, I think as you, as if you want to be a destination planner, okay, events planner, not just wedding, keep your eye out when you're going on vacation, look at some space and say that, can I see myself doing an event here? Or if you can see yourself doing an event here, you may want to compile a list and say, which will be my top five, which will be my top 10. And then, and then if you cannot decide, then you can put, West Coast, East Coast, Central, whatever. Okay. So, sure. so it, it, it has to be able, we, we, people have to be able to find you through SEO when they Google, you know, wedding planner at California. Then you, then if you put California on your website, there you go. If you have a hashtag California on your, on your social media, there you go. So, so yeah. I think the marketing is quite similar, regardless whether it's local or destination. But the main difference is, if you're doing destination, you probably will hashtag a lot of the um of the destination in yeah. in your social media posts more than more than a regular planner that you are just doing events at your local area. Oh yeah, I mean, I would literally when I was in that first two years where I knew my efforts were going to have to be what built my business, not my marketing efforts and everything like Google taking over for me and, and being able to do that, I would hashtag absolutely everything, right? Like if I was in St. Augustine, Florida, then it was hashtag St. Augustine, Florida forest. 
um, St. Augustine, Florida, right? Venue. Like there was just all these things. I would absolutely hashtag everything that had to do with a wedding in St. Augustine because I would show up in one of those. And then they're going to look at my profile, my, my profile and they're going to see me and then they're going to reach out. So one of those is going to work, but yes, absolutely. Like when you are building, you have got to be a hustler in being able to just say, I'm going to spam the heck out of this city. I am going to be everywhere. They're going to think I'm like the top person in this tiny town, but that's what it takes. That's what it takes. Such a such a good tip that you're not just hashtag yourself. You're going to hashtag everything that an event needs so that yeah. your story will show up. You know, your post will show up in those hashtags. When somebody trying to find a hashtag, uh, St. Augustine florist, there you go. You are there. You're not a florist, but you are there. Well, you and know? then once you finally actually do the event, Oh my gosh, it's on. Like once you get those photos back, <laughs> like, on. oh, it is just, you know, you go to that location and you're just like, wow, this girl's here a lot. Like, you know, and it should make sense. Like that's part of it. Um, but yes, absolutely. You got to hustle. hustle I, mean, those I, I can, I can totally understand why you decided to retire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a lot. It's just so, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And, you know, I, I talking back to that beginning part of like, there's two different planners. I actually, and I know that this is weird and this is what made me such an amazing destination wedding planner was I actually would get more stressed out when I had a wedding down the street. I barely got booked in San Francisco. I really did. I, I, I was like this weird planner that everyone knew of, but no one saw because I didn't work locally. Like it was just a very, very, I was like a, I was like a fairy, right? It was just like, who is she? Like, poof, I'm gone. You know, well, why all of a sudden is she in this weird country or weird state? So, but like, I would actually get super stressed out having an event down the street because, (laughs) and I know it sounds so weird, but like, I did know where everything was. I did know everyone around. I did have everything. But there is something about being able to wake up that morning and just know that you have planned everything so excessively that you absolutely kind of like ride on that adrenaline of knowing that you've done everything that you possibly can versus rolling out of bed and just being like, yeah, I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. And so, and again, that's where I say like activate that superpower. Not everybody is going to be successful at destination wedding planning, but if you can get there, and that is what drives you, then you're going to be hugely successful in destination wedding planning. And so, yeah, people would say to me all the time, oh, I have this, I have this wedding. It's actually, I think like 15 minutes from your house. And I'm like, oh, I'm booked because it would stress me out being able to go home and be in my own bed that night. I would be like, did I forget everything? Like, is everything okay? Like it was just such a complete opposite of what I had trained myself to do, right? Like Navy SEAL training, like it was just so opposite of what I had been preparing myself for that it actually completely stressed me out to have things easy <laughs> and have things just go the way that I want them to. And so again, there's that activated superpower of like, you're either this person or you're this person. Maybe a little in between, but you know. <laughs> I mean, this is a perfect set way for us to end today's interview, which is let's Put it very clearly, what type of planners would thrive as a destination event planner slash destination planner? What type of personality will thrive under that kind of environment that we spent 45 minutes talking about? (laughs) So in today's world, right, where we're talking about these new generations that are coming up and we're talking about these new kind of clients and kind of customers, experience is everything. They want to connect with you. Okay. And they want to feel as if they're willing to pay. People are willing to pay nowadays for experiences. They just want to know what they're getting. So confidence, like you've got to be an extraordinary salesperson to be a destination wedding planner, but you have to be a very honest and authentic salesperson because this is This is a very big expense that someone is putting your hands in, right? And they are really counting on you to get them to some place that they don't know either. And they're completely off the grid. 
And so they're really, really, you know, investing in that. So for destination planners, it is not about just booking another client. You really have to want to work for this person. And with that, you know, with experience, I think it also comes into you have to want to go the extra way because there is no other way in destination wedding planning. You have to be willing to commit that extra 30, 40, 50% when something goes wrong. You can't stand there on the top of a mountain and say, I don't know what to do. Like you just can't. And there are certain personality types that that's their go-to. And that's great. That is absolutely a strength. However, standing on top of a mountain is not one of those moments to be able to have that kind of personality. The other thing that people would always say to me is, you're so calm, right? The barn could literally be on fire. And I'm just like, let's calmly evacuate the barn. I'll find you another barn. We're fine. Let's go, right? So it's just this ability. Inside, I'm just like frantically looking around for whatever I can find in my head and like, how am I going to do this? Nobody knows that. So your ability to just completely stay calm, right? Um, Otherwise, you lose control over the entire scenario and that's not good. And then the other part of it is, you know, I think just you have to really, really know your business to be a destination wedding planner. You have to know your services. You have to know your limits. You have to know the boundaries in which your business is going to be able to support. If you do not have experience in getting clients from a tiny Italian town to Paris, do not say that you do, right? Especially if the couple is like, this is our life's dream. Honestly, this is going to make everything just my best day ever is if we can pull this off. If the words, if we can pull this off is in it, don't ride your business on that. You have to know your boundaries because again, it goes back to that vulnerability of like, you are not from here. And you can activate your superpower, but that doesn't make you superhuman. And so you have to know your boundaries in your business to be a destination wedding planner. I think those are really excellent points. I think if we decide to choose the path to become an event planner, not just wedding, event planner, we already have some form of these attributes. It's it's in us, but to, to be a destination event planner or wedding pl- destination wedding planner, those attributes are now being put on the spotlight and has to be heightened and elevated. So if you're at level 10 already, because if you're crazy enough to be an event planner, you've got to be at level 10 with all this. So everything else as a destination for a destination events, you've got to be at level 20, 30, 40. You know, and you said something about setting boundaries and being totally honest and vulnerable and say that I don't think we can do this because I don't know the lay of the land. We don't have time to to find out what's the lay of the land, the resources to make the phone calls, to make it all happen. So I would love to create the experience, but I don't think we can. So it goes back to your initial conversation with your potential client, what you can do and what you were willing to entertain and then do your homework and say that I'm not so sure we can we can pull that off. Yeah. Well, and if your clients are confident that you'll move mountains for them in the beginning, then when you have to have those uncomfortable no's and you have to have those uncomfortable moments of like, oh, gosh, guys, you know, I know we've been able to do so much, but I think this this was finally we've hit our point here where we just can't go any farther with this. They're going to know. They're going to be like, okay, great. Like you've gotten us this far. Like no questions asked. If you don't trust it, I don't trust it. We're with you. And it really kind of goes back to exactly what you just said. It's that confidence in the beginning, it's that ability, it's that authenticity, that transparency, and really building that relationship. So let's wrap it up by asking a practical question. What about the, the skill set? Like the actual planning skill set, even oh. planning skill set. What 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 do you need to already, if you're just starting as an event planner, right? A lot of things you can wing it when it's local. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, but if you are planning a destination event, what are the, the core skills that you must have as an event planner? Okay, great question. 
Um, so like I said, you got to be calm, but it would probably wouldn't be a shock to say that I am type A OCD. <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> and I have to be in order to, uh, you know, get put into a rural town and not have access to absolutely anything. Um, so, you know, if you are not detail oriented, it's okay. You need to hire somebody who is right. Like in my business, I was the creative, I was the designer. I was the heart, right? I was the relationships. I was able to just love on absolutely everyone. Now I do, I am type A OCD. So I can definitely build a time, a timeline like nobody else. But what I did is my events director who came in, who is my lead assistant, that girl lived for the spreadsheets and she lived for the data and she lived for building our day of plan. Like she woke up in the middle of the night, right? With just like panic sweats of just like, oh, did I like do that item line on that spreadsheet? And so that's the level in which you have to operate for a destination wedding. You have got to operate on the level that you may have missed something. Because the minute that you get complacent, the minute you get like, oh yeah, it'll probably be fine. You have already lost when it comes to destination wedding planning. So, you know, I'm not quite sure what that skill set would be other than type A OCD. (laughs) I will add on to that. I would say that if you want to plan, if you really want to be a complete destination events planner, you first and foremost got to know how to source for venues. Yes. You've got to have a strategy in sourcing for venues because otherwise you will be spending hours and hours and hours. So, so you got to know how to source for venues and vendors. You got to know how to negotiate a kick-ass contract because that's where you're going to get the best deals for your client. And also, I mean, at the end of the day, destination events are not cheap. So you got to really know how to negotiate and read contracts, negotiate contracts. Very, very, very important. Third, you got to have great time management. The timeline that you mentioned, oh my God. So if it's not just, I'm not talking about just the actual day of timeline. You got to have a solid event planning timeline. Destination events, they are not forgiving. If you miss that timeline, sorry, that thing is going to take three months to ship. Okay, <laughs> you can FedEx it overnight. So you got to have such a tight even planning timeline. You got to know those things. And also knowing how to do even budget because now your, your whole process is much longer. Okay, and maneuver, maneuvering international wires, international wire transfer, the paperwork trail. Some banks, like I did events in Brazil Holy moly, like fraud is so rampant that I think it's so difficult for me to pay them money. Yes. And if you don't, if they don't get the money, it's not because I'm not paying, but their government has got so many rules and regulations, they will not execute the event. You are on panic mode 101. Yeah. So no, you're that's totally right. And I think that goes along with also just trusting your gut. Like there have been plenty of weddings that I've done in Mexico. I got married in Mexico, so I knew. I at least knew the back ways of planning a wedding in Mexico, right? Like you can't just ship goods into Mexico. You just can't. And you also can't just bank on the fact that you can roll up with eight suitcases with all your decor in it (laughs) and they're not going to open it and take all of it thinking that you're going to sell it, right? So what do you have to do? You got to like ship it underground and you've got to just process and move things. Trust your gut, right? Because there's going to be certain things that come up where you're like, this can't be, this can't be good. Like I can't be, this can't be happening. But then you find out, okay, like there's a process, there's a way to do things. Or again, you hit that boundary where you're like, yeah, this seems shady. We probably shouldn't be doing this. Like, it seems like there's another way that we can get these goods into this country. Right. So I just, you got to trust your gut. It's got to be a gut. Thank you for, thank you for talking about that, the underground shipping, because I actually did an event for, um, and my client was shipping something from Canada. So Uh actually it was a branded can. It got held up at immigration when the event is here. It held up immigration because they say that they need to test out the ink of the pen to make sure that it's not toxic. 
So none of the guests got that. Okay, yep. none of the guests got that that branded gift because of immigration law. So I know we're not trying to deter you to do your destination events, okay? Oh, but we just have trying... Plan Z. Exactly. Comes in. Exactly. And you're in the hotel in the middle of the night, etching the name of the company on pens that you got. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But yeah. <laughs> But there is, there's got to be this plan Z and, you know, and like those turn into funny stories when you have that relationship, right? When you're just like after, after the event, those turn into the funny stories that they enjoy hearing about. That's why we say we're going to swap, you know, war stories, which is, you know, it's like rule number one, always source local. don't bring your thing don't bring your own stuff because you don't know whether you'll be allowed into the country i will say though there was this wedding that i did do in colorado where moss was like the vibe then huge and she wanted these moss table numbers that my mom actually made which was like the cutest thing talking about like bringing your family into it so my mom was like i could make those and i was like okay if you want to so she made these moss numbers and they were so cute and they loved them so much that then they were like, you know, we'd really love to be able to incorporate a little more moss. How about we do um, moss around the seating chart? And I was like, okay, that sounds nice. And no matter what, no matter what, I couldn't source the same kind of moss there in Colorado. I couldn't find it anywhere and where I got it didn't ship. So I oh, had God. to bring Ziploc bags full of moss in my luggage which ended up looking like pot. And I wrote <laughs> all over my suitcase. My, If you opened it, literally, it would be like, dear sir or madam, I am attending a wedding. The couple is amazing. Please don't break their heart. Like, don't take this. It's moss. Don't take this. It's blah, blah. And there would just be these long stories of just like, please take mercy on this poor couple. I'm literally going... And nine times out of 10, it worked. But this one wedding, they ripped that bag to shreds. There was just moss absolutely everywhere. And so that night, my assistants and I were literally just like pouring this moss out of my clothes, out of my suitcase, out of everything. But you got to do what you got to do sometimes. And, you know, there's just little horror stories like that where you're just like, please, please, airline, do not (laughs) arrest me, pull me off the plane. Or detain me. Come yeah, I was like, I remember texting my husband and be like, I may not be cleared to fly ever again. <laughs> this may, you also may have to bail me out of jail. <laughs> so just, you know, there's always something. And that's, I think that's the thing I do very much enjoy about destination wedding planning is that there's always something. Like there's not one single event that I can look back on where something funny didn't happen or something in the planning process or just that the clients weren't incredibly deeply grateful for everything they know that you did. And I'm not saying that a local couple isn't going to feel grateful. And, you know, we definitely honed in on our desired client, right? And like, my gosh, like... I mean, I, I really, I never had to fire a client. I never had to be fired by a client. Like there were just so much that we really just like, we heart led our business to lead us to the right people. But, you know, those stories after and those stories during and the couples after there really is nothing more better than those feelings. Yeah. It's, I think that's why we do what we do. And thank you for saying that you lead your business with your heart. And everything will just fall into place. When it doesn't, that means it's not for you. Right. Yeah. You if you have worked so hard and you're like, oh, like, go do something else. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for this. I mean, hey, listen, when we're having fun, time flies. It's like we went over an hour. But I so appreciate you sharing the behind the scenes, how you built your business. And then eventually say that, you know what? I can sail off to the sunset. I've done whatever I wanted to do. The business is now, you know, has grown and I'm ready to move on to my next phase in life and do something else. You know, now I want to help other business owners. So I commend you for knowing your why, your direction in life. I appreciate you as a person, as a business associate, as a friend. Thank you so much for sharing this. This is probably one of the 
best interview we have we have done when it's showing the behind the scenes of building a business. We're not just talking about destination events. We're talking about events, business in general, right? And and but we spend a lot more time talking about and a lot of people are now become licensed travel agents and want to do destination events. I think this this interview will really shed some light for them to to ask themselves, can I do this? Should I do this? I want to do this. So we don't, we are prepping them with a manual to speak so they don't commit the mistakes that like do not try to ship moss and try to ship pan into the country, you know? So, so you, we prepare you for the things that you look out for, the booby traps that you, you may not know until you're actually in the business. And we're talking combining 30-something years of experience here, well, actually more than that, 40-something years of experience here to help you, people who are watching or listening this to ask themselves, do I have aptitude to do this? What yeah. kind of skills do I need to learn in order to make sure that I don't make it a painful process for myself and a potential client? So uh, I think that's actually some good homework to give everyone here is, is you should write down just 30 seconds, you should write down, can I do this? And what that is. And then should I do this? Right. And then what that is. And then I want to do this, your why. And I think that those three things will really help you be able to build what it is that you want to build. And it'll help you realize whether or not you're going in the right direction. Oh, that is so good. I think, can I do this? I think we all can. Should I do this is the 50-50. Yeah. And then I want to do this is you have already been through the two-step process. Now you affirm, this is my calling. I'm, yeah. going to, I'm going to do this. In fact, this is what you should be doing or asking yourself every single time you want to do something crazy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Can we put this on a bumper sticker? I need to like yeah, I know, right? Can I do this? Should I do this? I want to do this. I don't know. We should put that like in the rear view of like your car. Should I do this? Can I do this? This is a good idea. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Okay. So get some rest. I so appreciate you. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. I mean, I had so much fun. I'm pretty sure that you had so much fun too. Thank you so much once again, Katie. I will look forward to having another round of interview, maybe a different topic. Oh my gosh. I'm totally in. Let me know when and I will be there. Perfect. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Eventrepreneur Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, can you do me a favor? Please leave us a review and also share our podcast so we can help more eventrepreneurs out there. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss any new episodes.